0: Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. With help from our show sponsor, Boise Escape, Story Story did some solid time at the old Idaho Penitentiary on September 26, 2016, with Slammers in the Slam. On this podcast, we hear the top three Slammers who were bailed out by our audience battle it out. For the title of Slammer of the Year 2016, these three were picked out of the nine Slammers to set loose and come clean on the theme freedom. Congratulations to Shelley Gartman, Kevin Mullen, and Sarah Jo John. One of them will go down in infamy. Take no prisoners. It's story time. I. I'm pretty excited to tell you that the three storytellers that we have that have been bailed out tonight, the first one I'm going to announce, I didn't write them down. But I think I hear her laughing behind me. It's Shelly Gartman. Yeah, come up here. Is that your last name? You know, I'm realizing now this really isn't much of a mystery because you can probably see them sitting behind the stage. Wow. That's uh, cutting into my drama a little bit. Could you guys just go under the stage a little bit? And our second is Kevin Mullen. Hmm. Well, if we do this again, I'm realizing that uh, if there were two of our storytellers who used a strategy in the storytelling world that we call the cliffhanger story. And they are both on stage right now. Very suspicious. And then our other storyteller that has been bailed out is none other than Sarah Jo John. <laughs> All right, so we. this is a 10-minute story, um, and it is on the theme, Freedom. And we're going to start with Shelly.
1: So we're driving out of Boise, headed towards Reno. Just to remind you, I'm with a devastatingly handsome man that I've met three weeks earlier. So again, my mind is just like in two worlds. Part of me is like, I found my soulmate. This is awesome. How spontaneous. (laughs) The other side of me is like, are you out of your mind? He could be a serial killer, right? (laughs) And I'm like, my mom, if she knew, she would just instantly have a migraine. True story. But she didn't know. Because none of my people knew. So I'm on my way, and um, the the whole time we were in Reno, like, it was kind of surreal. I I went in and out of this. This is great. Oh, my gosh, what am I doing? We're standing in the line, like, to get the marriage certificate. And uh, in Reno, it's a little interesting, right, as you can imagine. It's a little interesting who's all in that line and, you know, the levels of soberness or not and um, as I get near the front, there's like this spaceship kind of large machine that's stamping these certificates. And I get up to the front, and my blood pressure is just going up and up and up. And, and when that thing came down, it goes ka-chunk. and I jump like nine feet. I was a little nervous, and everybody in the line was like, "Oh, sweetie, is it your first time?" <laughs> oh no, I am crazy, and they look at. With her here and i'm like yeah what are you doing with me here like i haven't done this before anyway we get these harley davidson rings at the pawn shop like you do when you have no money on your spontaneity trip Uh, to some trajectory in your future that you have destination unknown. And Elvis literally marries a, I mean, you know, not Elvis, but like Elvis in in Reno. And I mean, we're in these crazy outfits. Like the whole thing was just crazy. There's pockets of it I don't even remember. And I wasn't drinking, although I probably should have been because it would make a lot more sense. We get back to Boise, and I don't tell anybody because I'm processing, and we, we go right back to work, and, and this is just crazy. Like, almost immediately, I started to experience culture shock. You know, everything about my single, fun, just easy life before changed overnight, and I had a husband that was in the car business, if you remember, so he was working all the time, but we had custody of his son on the weekends, who was three and a half, and he was really wild, like... The only thing I could liken it to at that time was like a Tasmanian devil. So I was instantly in charge of a Tasmanian devil on the weekends. And it was not going well. Like I took him somewhere and he took off and he almost got hit by a bus. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And I didn't feel like I could go with him anywhere. And I couldn't really take him to the doctor because I had a ton of responsibility. But but no authority as a step parent. And I realized like I was right in the middle of this messy situation. You know, there was this broken family, and now I was a part of the broken family, because they were still a family, they were just broken. And there was a marriage that was broken, but it was like still a marriage. They were still sharing this child, and we were having to communicate, and it was crazy. And so soon, I just felt alone. I felt overwhelmed, and I thought, I made a huge mistake. Like, I screwed up. I did something spontaneous at 33 years old, and, like, I just want to take it back. And so I continued to not tell anybody because I didn't know if I was going to stay or go. I'm like, what am I going to say? I married this guy after three weeks, and, you know, he was really cute, and we really bonded. And then now I think I'm out of my mind, and I want to annul this. I mean, what was I going to say? So I didn't say anything. I moved in with him, and everybody just thought we were dating, but we were married. And I was going to counseling and going, what am I doing? What, what do I do? And he's like, ah, just annul it and date him like I should have from the beginning. And I'm like, oh, no, but I think if I annul it and I quit now, I think I'm going to run. This is too hard, it's too messy, and I've got a husband that struggles with depression, I learned. And he couldn't talk to me. And as I look back, I can have a lot of empathy for him, because now he's got a pissed-off ex-wife and a super frustrated new wife, and only one of those is, like, overwhelming to most men, right? So I can empathize, but, like, I was still struggling with where I was coming from. I joined your broken family, and now you've abandoned me, and I feel alone. And I felt duped, and I wanted out. And finally, I started talking to God because I didn't know what else to do and I tried everything else. Let me back up for a minute. There was one precious night with the little boy who was trying to help, bumbling around doing that job as a stepmom, but he would have night terrors every night and wake up screaming every 10 minutes and he couldn't sleep. It was really sad and I couldn't sleep, which was really sad. And I went in there to his bedroom and tried to calm him down and he put his little hand on my face and he looked up at me and he said, are you an angel? And I said, no, but I'm somebody God has put into your life to just help you and love on you and you know, do the best I can. But even in that moment, I felt like a hypocrite because I didn't know if I wanted to stay or could. So I'm talking to God and I'm like, God, just endorse me and let me out of this. Give me a sign, you know, like, give me a sign, man. And just let me know we're all gonna be okay if I bail. And the opposite happened. He was like, Shelly, you're right where I want you to be. You need to suck it up and get over your selfishness. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I really felt like that. And, and, and he's like, yeah, you're going to learn how to give in a way you've never understood before. You're going to learn how to get over yourself in a way you've never understood. You're going to learn about faith like you didn't ever know faith. And I was like, okay, but I can't trust my husband. He won't even talk to me. And God's like, it's okay. I got this. I got you. Trust me. Dig in and learn to expand into the fullness of who you are. That's really what I felt in my spirit. And so I did. And here's the cool part. Two years after I married Steve in Reno, I married Steve in Boise, Idaho, and that's how we kind of enrolled the rest of the planet <laughs> into our, you know, union. Fourteen years later, we have two beautiful red-headed kids. And Tiger, who's now 18, just graduated high school, and he's the light of my life. But here's the thing about what once made me feel caged and trapped inside of my bad decision. It was the very key that opened up the rest of my life. For me to be a better human in all ways to have empathy for people that struggle in a marriage or with a kid with a disability because now I have two that have struggles. And to understand that it's not always glossy and beautiful and it doesn't always look like what we expect it's going to. And sometimes it's amazingly better because on the other side of that, I'm able to give and serve the planet in a way I know without this experience I couldn't have. I found freedom in my cage. Thank you for listening.
0: Our next story. He's becoming a star with us, Kevin Mullen.
2: Okay, so I kind of tricked you. I'm not going to tell you how I crossed the U.S.-Mexican border with no ID and no money. Five years after I got out of the Tijuana jail, I'm 22 years old. I was. Uh, those, those four guys were my football buddies Football on my football team in high school. Two of us went on to play uh, college football. The black guy, who kicked me in the head and said, hey, they're letting us go, went to the Air Force, Air Force Academy, and I was playing at Cal State Northridge. Um, this is the fall of uh, 88-ish, 89, I can't remember which. But I'd separated my shoulder for the second time playing football at Cal State Northridge and uh, against Boise State, as coincidence would have it. (laughs) And I couldn't play football anymore. I'd been a football player my whole adult life. I was losing my identity. And so I called my buddy James, who was a wide receiver at the Air Force Academy, and he has now graduated. Four years later, he's done in four years. I'm still a year from graduating. I was struggling. financially. I was struggling academically. And uh, I'm living in an apartment in Reseda, Los Angeles, and in the San Fernando Valley. And I call my friend on a late night. I'm doing homework, and I call him. It's 11 o'clock on a weeknight in California, and he's awake in Texas. He's at undergraduate pilot training in Del Rio, Texas. And I say, this sucks, man. I'm not, I'm not, getting on with my life. I'm not going where I want to go. And he said, just drop out and join the Air Force, man. They'll, it's a pretty good gig. You'll get a, they'll station you somewhere stateside. They'll pay for all your school. That was my goal. I wanted someone, to, I, wanted, I needed help to pay for school. So he's like, they'll pay for everything. And you, go to, you get stationed stateside, you go to school, and you're off duty hours. It's a pretty good deal. So I think about it for a while, and that sounds like a pretty good plan. And uh, this is the late fall, and I decide in the spring I'm going to join the Air Force. So I drop out of school, and I sign up in the late spring, and I joined under the delayed entry program. You can join and put off shipping to basic training for up to one year. So I worked out, got ready for basic training, which was a joke. Um, as far as physical fitness level, I was much fitter when I, before I left than when I left basic training. But I go to basic training and uh, I do my thing, get through ba- the six weeks of basic training down in, De- uh, in Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, and I get orders. I'm from San Diego. I get orders to Galena Air Force Station, Alaska. Galena Air Force Station Alaska is 60 miles into the Arctic Circle. (laughs) It is a three and a half hour C-130 ride north from Anchorage. There's nothing there. It is a remote duty tour. It's a one year short tour. There are no children allowed. It is an unaccompanied tour. And oh, by the way, when I landed, I found out there are no females. I'm 22 years old. <laughs> and when the C-130s finished rolling on the ramp, I get off the aircraft and it's 63 degrees below zero. This is January 17th, 1990. No, am- no wind chill. That's ambient temperature. So I'm doing my thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm cursing James' name every single day. <laughs> you asshole, what did you get me into? So I, I'm doing my thing, I'm, do, I'm doing my part. I'm in the frozen tundra of Galena in the Arctic Circle. And the, the mission at Galena Air Force Station, the Berlin Wall had fallen two months prior. We are the closest fighter base stationed to the Soviet Union. Um, We do not have a training mission at at Galena. We have two, two, that's it, two F-15 fighter aircraft fully armed at all times, and when they take off, they're going after somebody. They don't train like they do here at Gowan Field and Mountain Home. If you see a jet in the air at Galena, he's fully armed and he's chasing the Russians away. So I'm, my job was logistics. I supplied, I ran parts out to the flight line and unloaded aircraft. And so I, um, it's February now, I'm there a month. I'm, this sucks. This is not what I wanted. I wanted to go to school. There's no school here. There are not even any women here, for God's sake. <laughs> so I deliver some parts out to this place called the CAC, Combat Alert Cell, where the F-15s are. are. They're out there on the, on the flight line. I delivered some parts, and I'm walking back to my truck bundled up in my parka, and I hear the alarms go off, the sirens and the aircraft doors open on both ends, and the jets roll out, and I see them going. And this is the first launch I've seen. I've been there for a month. And it's the middle of the day, but it's dark as this. There's 22 and a half hours of darkness in Alaska in January, February. So the aircraft doors roll open, the jets power up, and I'm embraced in the heat of jet exhaust. And the jets roll out. Massive blue flames shoot out the back, firing up their afterburners. As Soon as the aircraft get in the air, as soon as they get to airspeed, the pilots hit the landing gear and just roll up and they go from 10 feet to 10,000 feet in about 30 seconds. And I'm a brand new airman going, holy shit this is what it's about. I joined for selfish reasons. I wanted to get through school. People joined the military for all kinds of reasons. I knew a black guy, served with the black airman who joined to escape the gangs in South Central. I served with a female airman who joined to get away from her stepfather, who started to pay too much attention to her when she was 16. People joined for all kinds of reasons, and I had selfish reasons. But I've heard of people, I'm not a religious person, but I've heard of people having religious experiences and feeling physical reactions to the grace of God, and that's what I experienced. The hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I started to cry. And I thought, I'm part of something bigger. This is what freedom is about. So I finished my time at Galena. The Soviet Union collapsed a year later. I'd like to think I had something to do with that, but (laughs) Um, that's the end of my story. Um, Being part of something bigger than yourself, to me, is what freedom is about. Thank you for listening.
0: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, our last storyteller, Sarah Jo John.
3: So um, you didn't know already, and I um, I wanted to apologize to my best friend Jody for like mentioning Jimmy like he was my best friend, but <laughs> Jody's totally my best friend. And if you weren't here when I when I told my story to get up here in the first place, I actually heard. Uh, Jody speak at story story night and had a conversation with his little sister and forgot where I'd heard his story and assumed that he was my friend and she's like I think you just heard my brother speak at story story night and you actually don't know him at all (laughs) and that was true so (laughs) but I feel like we've known each other in past lives and stuff like that so anyways one of my other stories that I told to get up here um had to do with um John Mayer, and I feel like if I mention his name enough times on stage, he'll, like, manifest. Um, <laughs> so I'm mentioning him again, but um, I, I actually tried to create a story which d- didn't work very well for me. I went, I went to see um, uh, John Mayer play with the Grateful Dead with some friends who are, who, are, who are here, and I threw a giant fit about having to ride in their Volkswagen bus, but then I thought maybe I'll feel caged inside of it and that will create this really great story, but really it just third time saying it, let me go see John Mayer in a Volkswagen bus and he's still not here. So (laughs) anyway, um, the real story that I'm going to tell you is um, after I left this uh, corporate world of lobbying, I um, went back to something that I I loved and so to set up the story, uh, when, I was, when I was 21, I was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And, um, and my mom, in, who's here, and this, she's going to like this story better than the last one, um, my mom introduced me to Pilates. Just It was something I could do. And um, so being the really supportive mother that she is, she bought me a certification for my college graduation. And I fell in love with this form of exercise. It just filled, like, a void that had been created when I was diagnosed with cancer. And um, I am forever, like, in her debt for introducing me to this. And I'm not sure exactly how that came to pass. My memory is that she read about it in the oncologist waiting room. But nonetheless, um, I ended up uh, opening a studio here in Boise. And I had a business partner. And... um, her um, name is um, Monique, and she is absolutely beautiful. And, um, and she's no longer my partner. She's since moved away, but she is, a, she is a lovely person. And I had this client one time who told me, you know, Sarah, if you looked like Monique, or if Monique was smart like you, you'd be unstoppable. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> That's mean. You're supposed to gasp when you hear that, like, thank you. <laughs> Anyways, it was really hurtful to me and to Monique, and, and when Mo heard that he had um, said that, she cried on behalf of both of us, thinking that this individual would, you know, say this to, to me, like basically saying, you know, you don't look your part, and this other oops, this other person isn't smart enough, when in fact she is really smart, and I hope to not be hideous. <laughs> and so anyways, um, uh, I, I own this studio, and I was always really hesitant to tell people that that's what I did, because I always had something else that I was doing at the same time. But I also had an idea in my head that I didn't look the part, that like when I told people that I was like owned a Pilates studio or that I taught Pilates, that in my head, I was thinking that people looked at me and thought, like, really? You don't look like Pilates instructor. Um, I can't say that anybody's ever done that to me. If you're doing it right now, stop it. It's rude. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, I um, I love Pilates, and it's it's um, it's something that that I've been like freeing myself of this like mean voice in my head. I I read something once that said. If uh, if you had a choice to be friends with the person in your head, you may not be friends with that person because they're so mean. And so um, I decided to free myself of that that stigma and that idea and and I think this person this this, client who mentioned this to me planted a seed and instead of like this seed of negativity that made me feel like, oh, maybe I'm in the wrong field, maybe I shouldn't do this, it actually planted a seed for me to be like, screw you, because we all get to look the way that we look and be the people that we are and feel good about it, and I feel like I've suddenly turned into your motivational speaker. (laughs) Um... But I really believe this down to my core. So even though, like, there is a voice, and and I have lots of Pilates people out there, like, wave your hands, because there's a whole bunch of you, and I'm so glad that you came. But um, sometimes I see, like, people that I work with, like, looking in the mirror and being, like, I can hear that mean voice, because I have it, too. And I just, I, um... I guess the freedom for me is to share this with other people because I sincerely love it so much, but also um, to give the finger to the man who told me (laughs) that I didn't look the part. So thank you.
0: And now, can I have, where are my three finalists nearby? I see Shelly, I see Sarah, where's, uh, there he is, Kevin. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to hand over this beautiful trophy and this certificate for a private game for up to 12 players uh, to Boise Escape to our first ever Slammer of the Year for 2016. And the winner is... don't we have a drummer? There we go. The Slammer of the Year is... Mullen. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Here is your certificate. Thank you. Here is your ball and chain. Thank you. And uh, there's one more piece that came off of it. You can ask Susan where that goes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I want to quote I want to quote Sally Fields at the Academy Awards. You like me, you really, really like me. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is brought to you by our Story Party, Bob Haycock, Amy Moran, Harris Kimball, Anna Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Elizabeth McKenna, and me, Jody Eichelberger, with big time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. This project is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We also receive support from the Boise Arts and History Department, Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, and the Slammer and the Slam show sponsor, Boise Escape, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from The Green Zoo, and show photography by Paul Budge. Shout out to our marketing guru and co-founder, Jessica Holmes. Support the Story program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night.